Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. This is Dave riding solo and we are going to talk about Alabama versus Missouri. Before we do that, a couple of quick things. I want to give a tip of the cap to Jackson down on the beach. He was our marketing agent uh, on vacation with his parents and he was telling everyone on the sandy beaches about the Alabama Football Podcast. So we pretty, uh, certainly appreciate that. A uh, tip of the cap to uh, Jackson. Also, We'd like to direct our listeners to the member support. Go to the website. Go to the website. Uh, we've got some cool stuff that we've added, alabamafootballpodcast.com, and you can sign up to be part of the 2020 listener support team. There's all kinds of bonuses. There's all kinds of uh, cool stuff on there. There's a whole page that sort of tells you what that's about. 2019, we did a, a listener support program, and we had 30 bonus podcasts that we did uh, over the course of really the calendar year. I think we're almost already up to uh, double digits. We already have done two interviews with uh, the Missouri podcast uh, podcasts, and we have an interview scheduled this week for someone with Texas A&M, and uh, we'll get that out uh, probably as early as Wednesday, uh, as early as Wednesday evening. So if you haven't signed up yet, uh, definitely do it, and that'd be great. So let's uh, let's talk about the Missouri game. So Alabama thirty-eight to nineteen over Missouri. This is one of those uh, first game of the season, and I'm going to tell you what, this is a bug out bag game. You know, it's one of those games from this, we should only take what we need uh, and, and, and move on. This is game one of probably the craziest offseason that any of us have ever seen. And so it's a game that's going to be quickly forgotten. And so let's only, you know, let's not choke on the things that, that we don't need to be worried about. You know, Bama was dominant when it mattered. Uh, 35 to six going into the fourth, definitely let off the pressure at that point. Uh, there were certain players that absolutely popped uh, some that, um, you know, some showed room for improvement. And there are a couple improvements sort of inherent uh, as we move to week two and we get a couple players back. And so we're going to kind of talk about those kinds of things, but, you know, just a public safety, you know, measure is only take from the Missouri game, what you need, don't get angst up about uh, a particular player performance or a p- particular unit performance. It's all going to get better. And we're going to look back in about a month, about a month and a half. And uh, we're, we're going to say, really, did they score 19? How did they score 19? I don't remember the specifics of how that happened because I'm blinded by the dominance of the team as we see it sort of in its late uh, October, early sort of November um impression or uh, form. So let's take that in mind and uh, and let's jump right in. Uh, talk about the offense as we do. Uh, 22 first downs, 414 
uh, yards over the course of the game. I think we'd love to have gotten, you know, closer to uh, upper 40s, you know, 45, 48. And I think we'd love to see 500 yards offense. But again, so much transition uh, onto this team. First game of the season, uh, a, term, a tumultuous, uh, tumultuous, how do you say that? Uh, just, uh, just a crazy offseason. And so I think uh, this is certainly something that we can build upon, certainly something that we can be proud of, uh, proud of. And if you struggle sort of grasping that, uh, take stock of what happened around the SEC and around college football. Uh, Texas, uh, just a nail biter. Oklahoma choked uh, again. Uh, Oklahoma, right, is the nickname. Uh, ask LSU how things are going, uh, what they wouldn't do uh, to get a 38-19 to 19, uh, score in their favor. And uh, even ask Georgia. If you compare our score to Georgia's score, they're close. They're, the, num- the numbers, the final numbers uh, are pretty close. But I liked our path to that outcome, to that final score, versus the, uh, the route that they took. Uh, even ask our upcoming opponent, uh, opponent uh, Texas A&M, and we'll talk about them uh, here in a few minutes. But uh, ask, ask if they wouldn't trade seats with us uh, at this point. Uh, so take everything with a grain of salt. Take everything with, uh, within a greater context. I know that we expect sometimes to almost Herculean uh, Superman-type performances, you know, 50 to 2, uh, 50 to nothing every week. And that is unrealistic. And I thought we played a very game Missouri team. And uh, and I thought we beat them handily uh, again, dominated uh, into the fourth quarter when we really let our foot off uh, foot off the gaff, gas. So Mac Jones, let's talk about Mac Jones, uh, 18 of 24, 249, two touchdowns. Uh, the stat line was not as spectacular as his play. Uh, Todd Blackledge, uh, Blackledge, I think, was right <clears throat> in that uh, Mac Jones was able to move within the pocket. He's not dynamic. He's not going to, you know, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not going to, uh, you know, he's not Jalen Hurts, right? He's not going to run a whole lot. He'll run when he, when he has to, but that's not his game. That's not his repertoire. What he can do, though, is move within the pockets. And and I think it's subtle movements. And Blackledge was exactly right. Uh, he would move to enable himself to throw, to, to stay on platform, uh, reset and then fire the ball. And I thought he, he looked really comfortable in that. We saw a lot of quarterbacks on Saturday that just weren't ready to play. They didn't feel, you know, week three ready. And Mac Jones looked like he had been taking a lot of reps in practice. He looked very comfortable, uh, even with uh, movement and pressure around his feet. I don't think he was, I don't think he was sacked on the day, but uh, there was pressure at times. But uh, he was able to elude, to move, to shift, and continue continue to throw the ball and he threw the ball with a great amount of poise and accuracy down the field. We can talk about the receivers. Uh, Devonta and Waddle both had uh, eight catches, uh, a couple hundred yards between them and really some, some just incredible ball placement, uh, nice catches by Waddle. He climbed the ladder for one, a uh, couple of, a uh, couple of passes he had to extend for uh, running down the field with in good coverage. Uh, the ball was placed just perfectly. And so a lot of talent on the receiving end of that pitch and catch, but uh, certainly a nice toss, uh, fine tosses from from Mac Jones there. Uh, Bryce Jones got into uh, Bryce Young got into the game uh, a little bit, and he was five of eight and sacked a couple times. He showed some of his raw tools. Uh, he was quick. Uh, he could run. Uh, twitchy, I think is uh, how it was was described. And a couple times he really rifled uh, the ball. So you can see some of the raw materials that he had there. That was his first collegiate start or first collegiate action, uh, not even a start. 
And so we're going to see him uh, continue to get reps, continue to grow and develop. But I think what we did see is certainly something that we can work with, certainly something that coaches can work with. And we're going to see him continue to grow and develop and, and be a player. Let's watch for that over the next couple of weeks. I think we predicted that uh, most of the reps would go to Mac uh, for this week, week one, because Saban is managing a season, not a deadline, not a single game, not a headline coming out of a game. And so uh, we're going to have Mac a lot of reps, a lot of opportunity so that he is set. He gets to midseason form as quickly as possible with Texas A&M and, and uh, a host of other uh, SEC teams coming up. But we're going to see Bryce continue to, to take the field and play and continue to uh, to develop as well. And so I think that'll be fun to watch. We talked about the receivers. Devonta, again, and Devonta and Waddle certainly popped. Uh, another skilled player that just popped off the of, off the screen, off the TV, was Najee. Uh, 17 carries for 100 yards. Uh, he he had, a, had a loss, so it was a net of 98, uh, 98 yards. Uh, scored three touchdowns, which was, was a high for him. He wasn't able to break a long run, but he definitely showed uh, increased burst, increased, uh, I, I thought, balance and vision running in sort of tight spaces. And so that's just part of his development. Uh, I thought he looked really good. Najee looked really good. And we're going to continue to see him uh, him develop. I, again, I still predict he's going to have a big season, but his numbers won't uh, eclipse what he did last year because I think we're going to distribute the ball. Brian Robinson, I thought, looked solid. Uh, Trey Sanders really didn't have an opportunity with uh, the offensive line that he played with. But, uh, I, you know, I've seen some commenters and uh, articles that that almost are dismissive of Trey Sanders. And and uh, if you're selling Trey Sanders stock, I, I want to buy it up because – uh, I think uh, he's going to pop, uh, and and I, I don't think it's long. I think it's uh, I think it's here in the next couple of weeks. We're going to see him him really burst out. Brian Robinson again. We talked about him. Uh, I thought he looked really good uh, carrying the ball. I I wish he'd caught the the wheel route. He ran uh, a pass. The ball hit him in the hands. Would have been a clear touchdown. Uh, so even at Alabama scoring thirty eight points, uh, there were points on the field that were left on the field. And so I think Brian Robinson's going to improve from that. Uh, what's interesting, when Trey Sanders did uh, play on third downs, he would rotate out and Brian Robinson uh, would come in. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was telling that in a third down situation, especially uh, well with any quarterback, but with Bryce Young in there, you want a little extra security blanket, uh, someone that you feel a little more confident picking up the blitz, uh, picking up the pressure. And so we would rotate in. First and second down, uh, Trey Sanders. Third down situations, uh, Brian Robinson. And we did that at least three times that I saw. So although that was, uh, I certainly thought that was interesting. Uh, the season, uh, you know, sort of, you know, first play of the game, right? Uh, we we run nine players out. And so Carl Tucker sort of missed an assignment. I even still look like he lined up wrong. These are the types of things get, that get cleaned up. This is why, this is frankly why the NFL has uh, preseason. So they can clean this stuff up. Uh, for sort of the main event games. And I think in college, not having a preseason, uh, you see a lot of improvements, uh, a lot of cleanup between week one and week two. And I think we'll certainly see that. Miller Forstall had, uh, you know, sort of a Miller Forstall stat line. Uh, he had one catch for 34 yards, quite a number of snaps, and uh, primarily as a blocker, certainly uh, not outside of what we were expecting. The offensive line, 
really sort of the tale of uh, two events, right? Or two lines, if you will. I thought the starting unit played really well. I thought they looked, uh, I thought they looked good mauling at, uh, at some points. And let's not discount the fact that this is a Missouri front that is, is stout. It's stout up the middle. And uh, the fact that the offensive line performed well, I thought was good. At one point, Evan Neal went down and uh, sort of collective take a breath on that one. He had to be assisted off the field. And uh, so definitely concerned about that. And it wasn't long after that that he was back on the field and he was getting reps at left tackle. You know, I, I did when I saw that, I actually took a picture of the screen and I may post it on the website with the show notes when uh, when I saw that. But uh, what was interesting is I kind of did two things. One was just XL. Thank goodness. 73 is back in the game. Okay, he's healthy. He can play. So we're good in that regard. But he was lined up at the left tackle position. And I thought that's interesting because that's something that we predicted in some of our pregame content. So uh, good to see there. Emil Echior, uh, number 55, played at right guard. Uh, A lot of people are down on him uh, for his play. I don't think that's fair. Uh, I think that was his first collegiate start. So he, we're going to see much improvement from uh, from Echior. Uh, I actually, he played pretty well when he was sandwiched between Evan and Landon. With the backups, he didn't fare quite as well. And so uh, there's something a little telling there. But I think Echior is going to be okay. Uh, let's give him a little bit of time. I still think there's some unsettled across the offensive line. If we can find someone to play center and allow Landon to move down to guard, then I think that's better. I think that's best for everyone. And I think the line gets better, but we don't have one. We don't have anyone right now that appears ready to do that. So we'll see. I think Ekior will continue to, to man the spot. And I think we'll see improvement uh, from, from him as well. Kendall Randolph. And uh, I know that uh, I've heard from a number of people that I've butchered his name. And so we're going to make sure that we say his name correctly. Every, uh, every podcast, uh, Kendall Randolph played. Uh, and in fact, he came in for Evan and he looked okay. Uh, so I think there's some improvement there. Uh, you start to wonder what that uh, Saban said. There's seven players that are, are starter ready. Uh, it looks like they're all interior guys uh, that we may not have uh, another tackle. And so that'll be interesting to see how that is developed through practice. Uh, the second team line, I think will continue to get reps and we'll start to see someone or hope to start to see one, someone emerge uh, as a candidate as a, at a backup tackle position. So that'll be interesting to see. As we think about the offensive performance as a whole, and I probably should have started with this, but one of the biggest surprises, I mean, you know, Mac Jones playing well, that was not a surprise to me. I don't think that was a surprise to, to those that have listened. Uh, Devontae, Waddle, Najee all popping uh, on the screen. I don't think that was a surprise. I think the offensive line play um, altogether, that was not a surprise. The biggest, the single biggest surprise that I had, is how Alabama attacked Missouri early on. Uh, again, if you've listened to the pregame, and we have two, uh, the pregame sh- shows over Missouri, one of the things that uh, Missouri fans who were suspicious of how good or bad their team could be really concerned going into this game, one of the things that they hung their hat on was the strength of the middle of the defense. A lot of depth. Uh, they liked their defensive tackles. They weren't so sure on their defensive ends. They liked their uh, middle linebackers. They weren't so sure on the outside linebackers. They liked their safeties. They weren't so sure on the corners, right? So layer by layer by layer of the defense, they liked what they had in the middle of the defense. So what's interesting is that Alabama elected to, to attack 
the middle of the defense early in the game. Think about the first, you know, 10, 12, 15 scripted plays. Alabama attacked the middle of the defense, both with running uh, as well as short passing. And for the by and large, I thought performed well. Obviously, they stretched the field. That's part of the game plan as well. But uh, on the short crosses and the runs, they uh, Alabama was very intentional in attacking the middle of the field. And I thought that's a that's a little bit of a couple things. But we're going to challenge them immediately. We're going to run right into the strength of their defense. And that also challenges us that we have to rise to that occasion. We have to be ready to play. It, it, against a team that that you know against the strength of a team and i think what that does early in the season and in a game you know frankly that we know that we're going to win this might be the mess the best you know three layered uh across all three layers middle of the defense the strongest that we see i really do believe that uh especially through most of conference play and so i think there's a little bit of let's see what we have there what if it's that front against a really good secondary or powerful defensive ends uh, that we might uh, that we might also see. And so, what can we do? Can we run at the at the strength of the defense? Can we attack the strength of the defense straight up? And so, I think that's a little again. It's a little bit. Let's punch them in the nose, and it's a little bit. Let's challenge ourselves. And I thought the title quoted themselves uh, very well in that regard. I hinted at built-in improvements. There's always improvements between you know, week one and week two. So we're going to see some things sort of clean up, right? That's going to happen. Some of this play uh, is going to clean itself up. But what other sort of built-in improvements or enhancements are there for this offense? And I, and I point to Javon Baker. Uh, Javon Baker sat this game out. I think there had been an injury. I think he was cleared to play, but the decision was made to, to hold him out. I don't know all of that backstory there, and I'm not going to pretend to. But what I have heard is uh, throughout camp that Javon Baker has really separated himself amongst the receivers and certainly uh, across the freshman receivers. So, you know, you've got Devontae and Waddle. No one's challenging them. Uh, John Mechie, I thought, played well. And if you really ask, uh, add a, a fourth receiver, uh, Javon Baker, and his skill set, right, I think uh, potentially is dynamic. He might be the next star or breakout wide receiver at Alabama. And so if when you add him to what we saw on the offense, uh, that's certainly another weapon amongst a series of weapons that we saw. So before we flip the field, let's do what we do, and let's give out a mini game ball. And uh, I almost got through all of the offensive discussion without mentioning his name, but mini game ball goes to John Mechie. He did have a couple of passes, and I thought he looked good, uh, crisp, running his routes. But he gets the mini game ball for his blocking. There were two uh, particular plays where uh, we were running little sideline uh, hitches or sideline outs to Devonta. And on both of those, Mechie was not only a willing, but he was a, a physical uh, blocker on those plays. And it was interesting. It was back-to-back plays. And I promise you, I have read more articles than, uh, than I should cop to. And I can't see reference to that anywhere. And I thought that was, that was impressive. It was something that we saw from, from Judy and Devonta last year. And it really, you know, is, you think of the superstar wide receivers, the headline grabbers, sometimes they're just too big of a star to block. And one of the things that we loved about the receiver uh, core last year is not only were they all all stars, but they were very workmen in their willing to block and their ability to block and the way that they shared the ball uh, week to week. It was a different uh, sort of offensive wide receiver star. And to see Mechie do that Saturday, 
just felt like, man, you're cut from the same cloth. And I thought it was especially fitting that he was blocking for Devonta because Devonta may be the smallest sort of offensive guy, the the thinnest, the frailest looking, if you will, offensive guy. And uh, he is uh, just a very physical blocker himself. And so the fact that Mechie was blocking uh, for Devonta two plays in a row really jumped out, uh, stood out to me. And for that, kudos, John Mechie, mini game ball from the Alabama football podcast crew. All right. Take a breath. Let's flip the field to defense. I was really impressed. Similarly on defense, right? There's some things that just popped off the screen uh, that just make you super excited. And there's some things that need to be cleaned up. But if you step back and you look at it as a whole, one of the uh, strengths of the Missouri offense was the running game. Two very uh, quality uh, running backs. And Alabama held, held the Tigers to 69 uh, rushing yards, an average of two uh, two yards uh, per carry. And so I thought that that uh, indicates well for the Alabama defensive line. Uh, I have seen some people critical of the Alabama defensive front, and I don't know where that's coming from. That is something that I would encourage you not to choke on that. Just let that go. We're, this is, you know, we're taking from this game what we must have. And the offensive line is going to get better because it's going to get better. And the, the defensive line, rather, performed well against Missouri. And so don't let anyone sort of convince you uh, otherwise. Uh, Missouri was eight of 16 on third downs and uh, two of three on fourth downs. And so shutting down on third downs is really a hallmark uh, of a quality defense. And so that to hold them to 50% there, uh, I thought was pretty impressive. Guys that popped off the screen, right? Dylan Moses, we knew that he would pop off the screen, right? And so he performed, I would say Dylan Moses performed like we uh, like we expected. Uh, Christian Harris, he popped and he performed like we predicted uh, with some of our pregame content. And Will Anderson, he popped off the screen as well, and he performed like we hoped he, he would or hoped that he could. So those are three very vicious uh, linebackers that, that we have there. Uh, you know, Dylan had four tackles, uh, two for loss. Uh, Christian, six tackles, two for loss. Held also had a sack. And then Will Anderson, only three tackles, but really explosive. And, uh, you know, on a, on a pitch, on a zone read, uh, he just completely blew up uh, the running back and really disrupted the pitch from there. And the pitch goes errant uh, and uh, ends up leading to a turnover. And that's a that's a play that Will Anderson will get, you know, sort of virtually no credit for, certainly in the stat sheet. But it's a play when you go back and watch it that he, he was a genesis or he was uh, an initial sort of the butterfly effect, if you will, in, uh, in causing that turnover. And so he, he definitely, I think, is going to be a disruptive player. Again, seeing his first start in his first collegiate action, uh, we talked about Christian Harris being uh, the Dylan Moses will be a cheat code for Christian Harris, and I think we saw that. Uh, I think we saw that early, and uh, we saw it often uh, against Missouri. And Dylan, I, I, there's not enough good things to to say about Dylan. Uh, the way that he played, the way that he performed, I loved uh, his uh, the sort of the hype video, right? I love the hype video with Dylan. Uh, you know, ready to play. I thought that was that was impressive. It was it was the most subtle hype video I think I've ever seen, uh, and it was certainly you know motivating. Uh, so I thought that was impressive. I think Dylan is going to have just a phenomenal season in his leadership. The fact that the fact that he said you know from the podium uh, post game interview that he was not impressed with how the defensive played. 
I think he can say that he can get, I don't think a coach can, can, can get away with that in the same way. Pete Golding couldn't say that. And that's not a knock on Pete. That's just, it's sort of just the nature of it. Uh, you know, there's always room for improvement, but Dylan, a leader of that defense was able to say, I'm not impressed. We can get better. We can play better. We have a chance to be really, really good. And that motivation that sort of wells up from within the defense, from within the team, I think carries a lot of weight. And uh, I think it's going to be impressive to watch that uh, unfold uh, as we move through the season. I think about, you know, seasons in the past. Uh, Ryan Anderson was a player that was real vocal, a lot of interviews uh, that he would do. And he was always, I don't want to say critical, but uh, he was always challenging the team uh, to do better. And that seemed to be sort of a persona uh, a role that he played and was a leader in that regard. And I think Dylan Moses is going to be, um, is going to be similar. I think at a, at a top end, Dylan's a better player than Ryan, but we're not, we're not equating that. We're, we're talking about leadership and we're talking about the ability to, to, to motivate the team and steer and direct the team. I think Dylan's going to play that role. I think he's going to play it very, very well. And uh, like I said, it's certainly going to be fun to, to see how that plays out. Uh, the defensive line, I thought that quite a number of guys were active. Uh, I love the rotation. Again, we talked about the rotation being a weapon in and of itself. So I think that's certainly something we're going to see. Uh, LeBron Ray was active. He had a sack. I thought Phil Darian Mathis uh, was active. He had a, a not a sack necessarily, but uh, I thought that he was active across the, the defensive front. There were a couple times just watching it. This is, you know, just a silly TV observation. But there are a couple times, you know, Phil Darian Mathis running onto the field. He just looks so, you know, stride for stride running onto the field. He looks so much more athletic than a 300-pounder uh, nose guard. Um, and uh, and his number sort of belies that as well, 48, right? And so he's the biggest number 48 that you've ever seen. And sometimes he moves around and it's like, who's that linebacker out there, 48? Oh, no, 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 that's a 310-pound, you know, nose guard. Uh, but he's nimble, light, uh, light of foot, light of foot. He's a guy. Here's a prediction for you. Here's a guy that's going to go to the, in, the NFL Combine and uh, and is really going to put up some measurables that the NFL responds to, that he's going to be so athletic for uh, a big guy. So that's something to watch out for there. I'm not saying that Phil's going to be a, a first-round pick or anything, but uh, for a guy that's going to go you know, third, fourth, fifth round, uh, you know, people will talk about his athleticism at his, um, at his weight. So watch out, uh, watch out for that. I thought a boy be, uh, played well, uh, again, a lot of depth. Uh, it was good to see DJ Dale, uh, back in their plan and here, not dissimilar from Javon Baker, just coming in and, and, and being another cog, uh, in the defense, but Christian Barrymore, when he comes in, uh, he, he is a disruptive force in the middle uh, of, of a line and, and perhaps, you know, more disruptive than some of these other guys, um, especially coming up the middle. And so if, if you looked for what is that sprinkle, that little dash of spice that the defense was missing, I think it was that type of pressure coming through, through the middle. And it's not that we don't have it. It's not that it's not on the roster. It's not that, oh, how do we solve for that? It's just, you know, Christian, let's get that knee right and let's get you in the game. And I think we see him uh, as early as this next Saturday uh, disrupting in the center of the uh, in the center of the defense. So watch out for that. Uh, that's just an extra spice, extra juice that uh, almost will have a magnifier effect um, across the rest of the defense. When you get that little extra push up the middle, 
then, you know, the defensive coordinator, the defensive line coach has to start asking, where do we put the double team? And then when you can get pressure in the middle and on the edge and then a linebacker Roman, a Christian Harris Roman that can come from anywhere, where do you where do you put the double teams? Uh, and, you know, maybe the back that's staying in the block, uh, if he misinterprets, uh, then you get some you get some freebies in the sack category. So watch out for that. Uh, Kellen Mond is a player that uh, uh, how do you say this nicely that we have beat the hell out of the last couple of years. So look for that. Anyways, I digress. So let's talk about the secondary uh, against Missouri. So again, let's only take from this game what we need. There's a reality that says, hey, we've been talking for weeks that the defense will be as good as the secondary allows. The defense will be as good as the development of the secondary. So we know that, right? Intellectually, we know that. And we've been talking about that for weeks. So during the Missouri game, when the secondary maybe doesn't flash or pop in the same way that some of these other players do, we shouldn't curl ourselves into a knot and worry about how bad the secondary is going to be. We need to acknowledge that they're not as far along as the front eight, but they're going to get better. And there are new players starting and playing for the first time at their respective positions. Jordan Battle, who's effectively a vet in the secondary has only started four games and last year as a true freshman and is a true sophomore uh, this season. So we have room to grow. We have room to improve in the secondary and we will. You've heard me say this before about the secondary because we turn so many guys over in the secondary. Stevie Wonder is going to see the improvement of this defensive back end. That's just the reality of it. And so hang tight. Let's watch uh, as this unfolds. Daniel Wright, who is, I think, is as athletic as they come in the secondary, racked up 11 tackles at the free safety position. Uh, But is also, he he missed a a handful of tackles. And so he has room to improve there. He might be a player. I'm not predicting or, or wishing sort of doom and gloom on anyone. He might be a player that rotates out. And uh, it might be interesting to see, you know, Helms uh, may get some snaps there at the free safety. Uh, Brian Branch, another true freshman, uh, may get some reps at the uh, true safety, uh, free safety position. So one thing to watch out for, watch during, and it's hard on TV. Trust me, I know it's hard on TV to watch the back end of the secondary. And the free safety typically is the one that's a little further out, just outside the camera screen, right? And so it's a real, you know, Let's call it what it is. That's a pain in the ass. And so when I'm sitting in Brian Denny and I'm hand counting the the secondary every play and who's lined up and what numbers and what positions, it's real easy to see uh, who's rotating in and who's not. And then you start to see the the rotation sort of settle down by week three, week four. It's harder to do on TV, but watch for uh, someone rotating in for number three. Uh, watch for 29 in the back end of the defense versus number three. Uh, so, you know, Hellum's rotating in, rotating in for <clears throat> Daniel Wright. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that. Uh, number 14, Brian Branch rotating in uh, for Daniel Wright. I wouldn't be surprised. That's not mad at me. That's not me mad at Daniel Wright. I'm just saying if someone's going to rotate in sooner than uh, someone else, I think it's at, uh, I think it's at that position. In, in the nickel, in the nickel. Uh, Malachi Moore got his first start, uh, number 13 in the uh, at the star position. I think we can really build on uh, what he did there. Uh, I think he had a penalty, unnecessary penalty. Uh, I think that's a coachable moment. 
I think he's got a lot of talent, and he's going to be a fun fun one to watch. Uh, Jordan Battle is going to continue to develop. He had six tackles on the day. Uh, Josh Job, he's the one that probably the most impressed with. You know, seven tackles, one for a loss. He had a sack. He had a pass deflection. All of that. Here's what I love about Josh Job. There was a play near the sideline where uh, he had really good position on the receiver, and he went up to to bat the ball, and he missed. He sort of whiffed on batting the ball, and the receiver, the ball hit him right in the hands, and the receiver should have caught the ball. Had that been an Alabama fan, we'd be lamenting the fact that, you know, hit you in the hands, you got to catch it, right? The Brian Robinson sort of situation. And you can also reasonably say, well, the receiver was just distracted by the proximity and the action and the motion uh, and the blocking, not face checking necessarily, but just just being there, uh, the presence presence of, that that contributed to the play. And what you will most often find, it's the nature of defensive backs. What you'll most often find after a play like that, the defensive back's going to preen. And so, no, I didn't bat the ball, but he didn't catch it. And so I'm going to take credit for that. And so you'll see a lot of defensive backs preen and sort of, you know, show their rear end off a play like that. What I love about Josh Joe was he was mad. He was mad. And you could see him go to the bench and the camera followed him. And he went to the bench and slammed his helmet down and had some choice words. And he was, I think, pissed off because he didn't make the play. Uh, He knew that a receiver could have caught that ball. He knew that a better receiver would have caught that ball. And I like, it's sort of the cheesy line from, what is it, Ray Lewis? He said, you know, pissed off for greatness. I don't know if that's really what was going through Josh Job's head or if I'm projecting, but that's what I saw in that moment where he actually made a good play. It could have been a little bit better, but it was a good play. It was the type of play that DB's preen after, and he was mad because it could have been a little bit better. If he maintains that mentality, that sort of fire in the belly, Josh Job's going to be a lot better player than I had predicted. So that's certainly something uh, to watch. Uh, Drew Sanders, true freshman. Hey, dude, (laughs) let's figure out that wheel route, okay? We definitely gave up a touchdown that uh, should have been covered. And it's the kind of thing I go back to Dean Milliner. D. Milliner's first start against Arkansas as a true freshman, he gave up a long touchdown. You know what D. Milliner never did again in his career, and he was an All-America at Alabama? He never gave up a big play like that again. And so he got burned against Arkansas. We went on to win, win that game, but he got burned against Arkansas, and he learned that lesson. It was on film. It helped him sort of train his eyes, train the read. And I think, um, I think Drew Sanders is going to benefit from that as well. We did say – I can't remember in sort of what form. I think this was the pregame where we said, don't be surprised if the secondary gives up a big play. And in fact, almost in a perverse kind of way, we should kind of hope it happens. We're not rooting for it, but we kind of hope it happens, right? It's a game where the final score, we'll say it doesn't matter, but the game's not in question. Let's have, if we're going to screw up and give up uh, in a sort of a big way and give up uh, give up a score, let's do it in a game where we know we've got it won. Let's take those teaching moments from from games that we've won as opposed to games that we potentially could lose. And I think, for my money, that's exactly what we did. That's exactly what we saw uh, against Missouri. So I don't know if we predicted that so much as thought that it could happen and uh, spoke words in that direction. So uh, I'll take a little bit of credit for that uh, if you listen to our pregame show. If you didn't, go back and listen to it because uh, we did, in fact, talk about that. So what do we want to say on defense in terms of mini game ball? I just want to say this out loud. 
I want to say uh, mini game ball for Mal Moore. Mini game ball for Mal Moore uh, starting uh, his first collegiate start. Of course, we're talking about Malachi Moore, but I just love to be able to say Mal Moore started for the secondary for Alabama. The late, great um, Mal Moore, uh, who we're forever grateful for for bringing in Saban as a coach. So anyways, let's move on to special teams. I am going to, you know, color me surprised on special teams. Saban made a point of uh, we're not sure which punter we're going to bring. Uh, we can't bring them all. It's a limited travel squad. So we have to be careful how many specialists we bring. Uh, and it turns out we bring uh, for punter uh, true freshman walk-on Sam Johnson. Uh, he punted three times for 39 yards. It makes me wonder what is happening with Ty P. Ryan? Why did he not make the trip? And so I think about it in these terms. I think it's the COVID situation. It's the, the most unique circumstance that there's going to be. If everything else is equal, let's take the punter who has traveled before, right? Let's take the punter who has done some of this before. Let's not take a guy that is a freshman, walk on, and is wide-eyed about everything because everything is new and different, and I've never experienced it before. Let's take someone that has a little bit of, I've been there, done that. And so even though Tyler Piron was just a freshman last year, he's just a sophomore, he's done it. He's traveled. He's been, I mean, he hasn't been to you know, Missouri, but he certainly has even been to more hostile places. And so why Ty didn't make that trip, I don't know. I'm not speculating. It just makes you wonder, hmm, I wonder what, Mayor could be going on there. Uh, so let's keep an eye on that. Uh, Will uh, Reichert, uh, hey, you know what? We made a field goal, so let's chalk that up. Uh, five made PATs. It was a 34-yarder, but he split the uprights, and uh, we'll take that. that. That counts as good. What's also interesting, when you think true freshman Sam Johnson uh, punting, we had uh, true freshman uh, walk-on Chase Allen handle the kickoffs, and he was okay. He kicked off seven times three for touchbacks. And so it's interesting. That's interesting too, right? And so there's, uh, you know, special teams and specialists, right? But two of the three are true freshmen, their first collegiate action. Will Reichert is a sophomore, but he handled kickoffs last year. And so it probably makes sense that you want to have some backups there. And so Will, Will Reichert can kick and punt and then Chase Allen, you think maybe he could back up on the kicker. And so it it's not altogether surprising that you would have three. But probably what is surprising is that two of the three, again, first road game of the season, are true freshmen. And so it seems that you would bring someone with a little more sort of experience. At least that's, that's my thought on the matter. The counter argument is, Let's get them all experienced as soon as we can because we don't know what's going to happen over the course of the season. I understand that. That feels more like a cop-out argument here. Uh, and so I'm going to I'm gonna say, especially with Ty and Sam, it'd be interesting to see what goes on, uh, who punts uh, this Saturday. It still looks like an open job, and uh, we'll go from there. Speaking of next Saturday, uh, Texas A&M comes to town. And they certainly had a close call with Vanderbilt. Uh, they were one of two games where the score was uh, was at five to seven at uh, at half. That's insane to have any score, uh, any any game with that score at half. And the SEC had two of those uh, this Saturday, so that that's interesting. 
uh, both Georgia and Texas A&M were very surprised and very disappointed uh, to be caught um, in in games with with that score against their respective uh, opponents. Uh, Vanderbilt and Arkansas uh, deemed sort of the the bottom dwellers of the SEC, so that was quite interesting. So, anyways, it, my opinion. Look, I think the bus, the wheels may be coming off the the Fisher bus. That that truly is an impression that I have. Four wide receivers, uh, a couple guys declaring early. Uh, a couple guys graduating, a couple guys, you know, one in particular after camp had started, uh, sort of, you know, tapped out. And uh, and I think they have a guy that uh, went down with injury too. So their top four receivers from last year could have been back on this team. All of them could have been back on this team, and none of them are back on this team. So I think they've got some personnel issues to overcome. I think they probably have some coaching uh, issues uh, to overcome. And I think it's potentially a long day in Tuscaloosa for the Aggies. I think if you look at what Alabama did and you say, hey, if Alabama can improve 20, 30, 40 percent uh, sort of across the field and you say Texas A&M, if they approve 70, 80, you know, 90 percent over what they did against Vanderbilt, I think the margin still leans pretty heavily in, in, uh, in the favor of Alabama. Uh, a deeper team, certainly. And uh, I think what's going to be a more disciplined team and a team that's much more ready to go. Uh, I think, you know, Kellen Mon, I am really impressed with him. He is one tough hombre, but I don't know that he's, at the end of the day, that good of a quarterback. I mean, he can run. He's going to gain yards. He's going to sling it around. I'm really impressed with, with, his, with what he can do, but I think there's a ceiling uh, in what he can do. I've also seen him just really get the snot kicked out of him uh, in Tuscaloosa. I think one year we sacked him seven times, and that doesn't count all the times that we've tackled him uh, when he ran the ball. I want to say, I didn't go back and listen to this, but as I'm thinking about it, I think we sort of approximated uh, when we looked at, and and in fact, I'm confident that Tommy and I sort of broke this down. If you looked at the carries that he had, the sacks that he had, and then just getting hit after he released the ball, I think we were north of 20 hits that he took that day, and quarterbacks should not take 20 hits, uh, but certainly, uh, certainly he did that day. And so I think when he comes to Tuscaloosa, he may see shadows, he may see ghosts, he may uh, hear footprints, uh, because he certainly has been beaten into the turf there in Bryant Denny. And I think uh, similar happened Saturday. Uh, we talk about Barmore coming back. I think Will Anderson. Uh, I think just the defense is going to be. Uh, a little more put together than they were, and they were pretty well put together against Missouri. I think they're going to be stocked. I think they're going to be ready to go. I think this is a 43-13 style game. Uh, I don't think it's in question, uh, you know, from from the jump. And uh, I think it's going to be an exciting afternoon of watching Alabama football. I will say, and I'm going back and uh, reference again, the, uh, the 2020 uh, sort of listener support club, uh, team. One of the benefits that we're doing there, we, we have a separate feed. It is a, it is in effect a separate podcast that we're releasing to that team. And so I encourage you to go check that out. Uh, it's a reasonable sort of contribution. It ke- helps us keep the lights on here uh, at the podcast. And uh, we have some really cool uh, features or benefits. Uh, we're going to do a Zoom call with uh, with some of that group. Uh, Saturday morning before the Texas A&M game. Uh, I have an interview with uh, a longtime friend who's an A&M graduate, and he knows football very well. Uh, We're going to talk Aggies uh, Wednesday night, and then we're going to publish that uh, out Wednesday uh, to that group. 
And so it's not too late to go sign up, alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check out the uh, listener support, 2020 listener support, uh, so that you can get access. Not trying to do a hard sell, but I just don't want anyone to miss what I think is some really good comment. And I know that sounds like cheesy salesmanish, and I'm, I'm not even trying to sound that way. Uh, help us keep the lights on. If you like what we do, then uh, then uh, there's an opportunity to sport and get access to that type of content uh, really for, uh, I think, a very reasonable uh, price. Check it out. If you have any questions about the program or just Alabama football in general or about the podcast in general, uh, check us out on the website. There's a contact uh, page there. You can also hit us up direct at alabamafootballpodcast at gmail.com. So with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.